I'm Brett McGarry. This week, the couch potatoes are too hot to handle. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. Netflix has a fun new series of comedy specials. I'll tell you about Middle Ditch and Schwartz. And if you're anxious to see more of The Mandalorian, Disney Plus has something to help scratch that itch while you wait for season two. And let's start with the season five finale of Better Call Saul. So, what happens next? Well. Do you know something you're not telling me? Yeah. Don't think I don't see you, eh? You're asking for information you can't have. You're not going to do it again. Oh, my God. Better Call Saul, the season finale. Better Call Saul, by the way, is a spinoff of Breaking Bad, which featured a character named Saul Goodman. He was a sleazebag lawyer. They've made a prequel spinoff that will eventually lead into Breaking Bad. And a warning, spoilers ahead in case you have not watched the season finale. Where do you want to start with this, bro? What did you think of the show overall, the finale? It was a little bit more on the Lalo and Nacho side than it even was on the Saul and Kim side, don't you think? Yeah, I was a little surprised with the direction they went with this because it seemed like the Kim Wexler story was coming to a head. I was expecting something bad potentially to happen to her. Like I figured that that something would point her at least in a direction as to where her where her fate would ultimately end up because she's she's been teetering on the edge all season long right from that first episode where you can tell that she's got this self-destructive side uh, she likes to live on the wild side and yet she seems to counter that with doing this pro bono work she wants to to do all this good work uh, so she is clearly at war with herself and it's it's i don't see it happening or ending well for her but it just kind of was left as a dangling thread, which I suppose makes sense because next season is the final season and it makes us want to know, oh my God, what's going to happen? But yeah, with that Lalo stuff, uh, that that did not end at all how I thought it would end. And that just sets it up for an electrifying season six. Oh, the look on his face at the end as he sort of staggers off into the darkness to go hunting for Nacho and whomever else betrayed him was that was terrifying. He's Lalo's one of my favorite characters on the show. He's like he's a monster, but he's got such a winning smile, which was on full display in the finale when he rolled down that car window. I burst out laughing. Uh, he's very smart and driven. I don't know about you, but if assassins are in my house and I have an escape tunnel under my bathtub, I'm crawling through that tunnel and running for my life. Whereas Lalo, on the other hand, crawls through the tunnel then. Sort Circles back, comes back into the house to exact his revenge. Um, and yeah, with the Kim stuff, I remember at the end of last season uh, is when she caught up with Jimmy and when he was changing his name to Saul Goodman. And the look she gave him was just like, oh, my God, this guy's turning into a bad guy or something. And then it's the same look that he gave her when she sort of came up with her plan to uh, go after Howard and, and to finance her pro bono. Uh, practice or whatever she she seems like she's breaking bad on her own there at the end so a gal it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with her in the end i heard someone say on a podcast this week that if you remember watching saul in breaking bad he doesn't seem like a guy whose true love has been murdered by a cartel so maybe the odds of her living through next season should be pretty good but what exactly happens to her is obviously the number one question of the show and I can't wait to find out what's going to happen. I read an interview this week. They said they hope to have the final season on in the fall of 2021, 
which is still like a year and a half away. But, of course, everything is sort of up in the air right now because the uh, silver lining with the uh, pandemic is as far as timing is that now would be when the salt people were writing the stories anyway, so they can do that at home. Um, but there could be all sorts of logistical problems down the road in Hollywood in general, when every production tries to restart at the same time. Yeah. I, uh, I am very excited to see how it turns out. And, the, 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 I I appreciate the the insight from that podcast that they're they're offering, but the Saul Goodman we saw in Breaking Bad showed us nothing about his character. I don't think it was until, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, I you were far more heavily invested in that show than I was. I binged it in ten days. You watched it over the course of years, but I don't remember Saul Goodman showing any kind of emotion until the very end when he realized, okay, we got to run. That was the first time where he seemed to show weakness. Uh, the rest of the time, he was just that sort of one-note sleazebag lawyer. He was playing his character. Yeah, no, that's true too. It's that's what I thought as well when I heard those guys talking. I was like, it's hard to decipher anything from Breaking Bad about anything involving Saul that isn't directly in front of you in the moment that you see him, right? So, like somebody else said on a different podcast, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but someone else said, for all we know, he's going home to Kim Wexler when he closes down his little Saul Goodman shop after meeting with uh, the Breaking Bad guys every episode. So who knows? That's that's the fun of it and. These guys love the guys in charge of Better Call Saul. They know that what we know and how we know it, and there's they got all the options in the world to sort of write it to exactly how they want it to turn out. So I can't wait to see what they come up with because every time you try to think of get ahead of these guys on story point, they blow your mind with something else. Are you satisfied with the finale? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was it was a great season. It was. I don't know if it's just you know. Because we're all stuck inside, that good TV resonates that much more, but it, it certainly does, and this is certainly going to be one of the highlights of the television year. Yeah, I would, I, I would go so far as to say I think it's the best show on TV right now. Um, that's, I would also add, though, I don't watch every single show on TV, so maybe I should say it's the best TV show <laughs> that I watch, but it has been outstanding. This show has just steadily improved year after year, and uh, especially now that all of the storylines are starting to converge upon each other. So hopefully we'll see the sixth and final season of Better Call Saul in 2021. Now let's go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to quality television, because a trashy new reality dating show debuted on netflix on april 17th it's been number one in canada ever since at least as of thursday afternoon as we record this it's just the kind of mindless and potentially mind numbing distraction many of us could use these days it's called too hot to handle this retreat is full of the sexiest people in the world Little I would rate myself a 10 out of 10. Bring that here, reel it in. This is literally heaven on earth. Cheers to the sexy people. Thanks, guys. I'm Lana. Plot twist. No there are conditions to your stay here. Bloody hell. No kissing or sex of any kind. <gasps> oh, f- Here's the gist. Ten sexy and horny men and women are sent to a fancy villa in Punta Mita, Mexico. They've all been selected because they're all commitment phobic and they're all 
quite busy in the bedroom in their social lives. They are promiscuous. They like adult fun, shall we say. They show up, they get to know each other, and 12 hours later, the bomb is dropped that they are not allowed any sexual activity. They can't kiss each other, they can't touch each other in a sexual manner, and certainly no sex. And on top of that, no self-gratification. Or as uh, Jess would say on New Girl, the old uh, Fox sitcom, no self-completing. So you've got 10 of the horniest people in the world all running around in their bathing suits, and they can't do anything with or to each other. Also worth pointing out the in-the-world part, because they've got people from all over the place. There are some Americans, there's a few people from England, there's one from Australia, there's one from Ireland, and one of the women, Francesca, is from Canada. She's from British Columbia. There's also no host. There's a virtual host. A little virtual assistant that lights up. Her name is Lana, and she's the one who's watching their every move. As if some robot is telling me I can't do anything. It's not easy to go an extended period of time without any sexual release. Think of your nad. This retreat is to help you gain deeper emotional connections. Is blue b- a real thing? We'll find out. Money will be deducted for any sexual activity. All we want to do is rip each other's clothes off. There is a prize pot of $100,000 up for grabs, but every time there's a breach (laughs) of the rules, money is taken out of the pot. The idea is these emotionally stunted contestants find a way to break through their self-made barriers and make actual emotional connections and earn a financial reward for doing it. So basically, you're watching the show to see if they can be the masters of their domain. Rehabilitation. I'm starting to look at the fish. <laughs> Everyone's so horny. Oh. We need to control ourselves. Brenda, cost me money. Oh, God. Time for growth. What kind of growth are you talking about, bro? <laughs> All we've got to do is just keep our pants off. So up next, I'll tell you what I think of this show so far, because I'm only halfway through, and maybe we'll have a quick chat about our favorite trashy reality TV shows. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes, talking about a new show that came out last week on Netflix. It's called Too Hot to Handle, and as of... As we record this on Thursday afternoon, still the number one show in Canada. It's been number one since its debut. And it's a show about all these sexy singles who go to this resort, hang out, and they're not allowed to touch each other. If they do anything, if they kiss each other, if they have sex with each other, they will lose money. There's $100,000 up for grabs. The show is apparently inspired by the Masters of Their Domain, the contest episode from Seinfeld, which involved that contest between Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer to see who could go the longest without sex or self-gratification. The first thing that struck me was just how dumb some of these people are. Not all of them, but the ones who are dumb are among the dumbest people on planet Earth. And as you watch it, it makes you feel dumb. For example, this blonde from Florida, I think her name is Haley, she shows up and uh, she says, oh, I like your tattoos. And the guy says, oh, do you, do you have any tattoos? And she turns around and she shows that she's got a tattoo on her back. It's some sort of writing. And, and he says, oh, what language is that? And she says, I don't know. <laughs> so I just thought, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I have seen some 
world-class idiots on these shows, but these the, the dumb people in this show might just take the cake. Another unfortunate thing so far, I'm only four episodes in, four episodes to go, but the Canadian, Francesca, she's the worst one of the bunch. She's the most arrogant person there. She's the biggest troublemaker. She's not nice at all. So that made me sad to see the Canadian be the biggest pain because Canadians are world-renowned for being nice. It's not a traditional show where each episode builds towards someone going home, like a traditional dating show, or where it builds towards someone going home, or at least the threat of someone going home. Although it's my understanding that some contestants do end up getting booted out, so we'll see how and when that comes along. So because it's not building towards that drama with each episode, and there is some drama, but it's not typically what you're used to they've all just sort of all the episodes have just kind of blended together so far which means you're just essentially being a voyeur watching to see if these sexy singles decide to throw down all while being kind of stupid in the process it's also quite similar to this summer's this past summer's love island which aired on cbs that was an adaptation of a super popular show from the uk and yes i watched love island too lol i didn't really want to watch it but i was dating someone at the time she wanted to watch I checked it out with her, and we both got kind of hooked. That show was still more of a traditional dating show. It didn't have this goofball gimmick. But the villa looks similar. Similar The the locale looks similar to the point where I actually had to look up where Love Island was filmed to see if it was the same property. Turns out Love Island was filmed in Fiji, too hot to handle in Mexico. And yet... Despite the show's problems, there's something comfortable about this show. I mentioned it off the top. It is a brainless distraction. And I think right now that is the kind of thing many of us need. And if said distraction involves observing young, hot people, why not? Also, it's kind of similar to what many people around the world, I think, are experiencing right now. I'm a single guy. I'm on the dating apps. I'm meeting people virtually. But I can't go see them and, you know do stuff so because i haven't finished the season i won't give it any sort of a rating i'll just say if you enjoy trashy reality shows you'll get some enjoyment out of this if you simply need a a stupid distraction this might help i both enjoy trashy reality shows and i need a distraction so i will watch that too jeff i know uh, you don't watch a ton of trashy reality tv but once upon a time you were a huge fan of a very popular global show big brother yeah, and actually, you talking about it sort of makes me want to check out this Too Hot to Handle. But yeah, for many years, I was big on uh, Big Brother, right from the jump, from season one with that show. And back then, the first couple of seasons, they had this thing that worked out well for me because uh, I was at a radio station in Winnipeg in the central time zone working the overnight shift. And I didn't have a whole lot to do except make sure we were on the air and do a bunch of Joe jobs around the station, that sort of thing. And what they had at the time, for Big Brother was the live feed cams, which were free at the time. So, and I was the only one at the radio station. So I went, they had like four different cameras. So I went to four different workstations at the radio station, put one of the live feed cams up on each monitor. <laughs> and the, they kept me company through the night because it was, you know, it was only late at night in California or whatever. And they were just plying them with liquor. So they were getting drunk and stupid. And it felt like I had company in the long, lonely overnight hours by myself at the radio station. <laughs> nice. Nice. I think when it comes to my favorite, yeah. uh, favorite trashy reality show of all time was Rock of Love with Brett Michaels. It was actually a follow-up series because there was Flavor of oh. Love with Flavor Flav. You watched some of that, didn't you? Yes. I watched some of that. That was 
I love Public Enemy. They're one of my top three favorite uh, hip-hop bands of all time, and I love Flavor Flav, and that show was just too gross to watch. Yeah. yeah. That was just some disgusting business there. Yeah, Rock of Love was very similar. I mean, Brett Michaels, he was still charming and fun, but he had all these these young, just dumb women throwing themselves at him to be the, his sexual object, and uh, I couldn't look away. It was just, it was so addictive and so much fun. It was the trashiest version of The Bachelor you could possibly possibly imagine at least acceptable for television and uh, ne- this one gets a little racy because it's netflix there's some nudity and there's swearing so oh. maybe it's like if you could it's like the traditional network show but with a mature twist so too hot to handle maybe i'll finish watching it this week and tell you how the rest of it is when we come back next week up next we are going to tell you what is happening with the mandalorian and we'll have our weekly recap of survivor you're listening to the couch potatoes Brett McGarry, Jeff Brown, we are the Couch Potatoes. This week we learned pre-production has already begun for season three of a show, which won't unveil its second season for another six months. We're talking about the Disney Plus Star Wars show, The Mandalorian. Mandalorian, look outside. They are waiting for you. Good. The Mandalorian debuted to much fanfare in November with the launch of Disney Plus, and it became a pop culture phenomenon due to that little Baby Yoda character. Season 2 isn't set to air until October, and appears to be on track for release since production wrapped up in the season last month. In the meantime, Disney is getting ready to release a making-of documentary series on the show called Disney Gallery The Mandalorian. The enthusiasm is infectious. So much of this process is about problem solving and making breakthroughs. Everyone is coming with their own experiences to a galaxy that can support it. And they also have a group of filmmakers who were not afraid to jump in. It's hard to believe all these years later, there's such energy around new stories in this world. Action. George reiterated, remember to make these stories hopeful, to give that to kids because they really need it. It's important to the foundation of Star Wars, but we don't just want an action, we want to feel uplifted. And Star Wars ultimately is about family. It is really saying there is a lot of hope out there. So this docu-series will open on Monday, May the 4th. That's right, as in May the 4th be with you, Star Wars Day. It's an eight-episode series, and each episode will look at a different facet of the first live-action Star Wars TV show. New episodes will stream every Friday after that on Disney+, Plus. so they're sticking with the same formula as they did for The Mandalorian. A new episode each week rather than a full dumping for the purposes of binging. I loved The Mandalorian, Jeff. I think I I might, in spite of all the other crap I still have to watch, I kind of want to go back and re-watch The Mandalorian. It was very entertaining. It was it's it was surprisingly entertaining only because it seems like everything else that has come about in the Star Wars universe since, really since Phantom Menace, has been dumped on by seemingly at least half of all Star Wars fans. And this seemed like the one thing that everybody agreed on was that this show was awesome. And apparently that Clone Wars cartoon 
is also very good. I know that it's been highly regarded over the years, and I kind of wish that I had watched it. But, I mean, I guess I could because it's now available on Disney+. Plus. They've done a whole bunch of seasons on that. I think this is the last one that's on Disney+. Plus. I, I, I could be wrong on that. I could be wrong. I know Star Wars fans, don't get mad. I'm just pulling that off the top of my head. But, no. Uh, yeah. no, you're right. Oh, I'm right. Clone Wars is ending. Yeah, Clone Wars is ending. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Sometimes I say things. And I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Actually, not sometimes. Pretty much all of the time. So there you go. Monday, May 4th. That's right. Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian. And now we switch gears to what's on global TV. Everybody's been lying to everybody. I don't know what's going on. Tony <gasps> is trying to play double agent. I want to do damage, man. Whatever Tony says, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Period. Here comes one side, you kid. Who's there? Everybody. I'm going to be golden if I can pull this off. Survivor Winners at War, Wednesday nights on Global TV. And spoiler alert, we will be talking right now about this past week's episode, Jeff Giver. Another uh, stellar episode, I thought. This was the Tony episode. And even though he got a little more animated than usual, he's still in playing quite... A bit of a more low-key game than he has in seasons past, and I think he might just win this thing now. I was sort of thinking Sophie would win that thing, but as we found out at the end of the episode, Sophie went home, so she can't win it. Well, I guess she could come back and win it somehow. Um, but no, I, I think Tony's the one to beat right now. Got a lot of Jeremy this week, too, and those two guys have easily got the biggest targets on their backs, and they both know it, and they're trying to use each other as meat shields, which is my new favorite survivor phrase. Um, Tony got the disadvantage this week. That was one of my favorite new superpowers of the season. Instead of watching someone try to earn an advantage, it was fun watching him frantically trying to stave off losing out on the immunity challenge and his vote at Tribal Council. And a great call by uh, Natalie and Parvati on Extinction Island to pick Tony, knowing that it would pay the most dividends for television entertainment not only him reading the note and having the late realization that it was bad news but then even in his recounting of the situation because he goes on the same emotional roller coaster as he did when it was actually happening to him Tony is just good TV. After two wild tribal councils and two episodes where island plotting was too crazy to even follow along or was skipped over, it was nice to see the return of regular plotting and pacing and scheming. And I think because of how much they actually laid out Tony's machinations with that vote, I think that might actually be another indicator that he's going to win. They're making sure everyone sees him plotting and scheming and pulling stuff off. It was a genius play. It worked like a charm to get rid of Sophie like that. And it proved that Tony knows how to read people and how to approach people as he formed a new alliance with Jeremy, Michelle, and Nick for the one vote, pulling them in with such ease. Uh, so goodbye, Sophie. She was smart, playing a quiet game, but you could tell she was... You know, the brains in almost every situation she was in. And again, smart of Tony to orchestrate her ouster. The only bummer about it was, uh, and I never see stuff coming, but I knew this was going to happen only because of Tony's sunset plan. He didn't put the boot out Sophie plan into action until the sun was starting to go down. So it could happen right before tribal council. And you could tell by the lighting in all those scenes that the sun was on the horizon because it was like a light was shining right into the side of everybody while the other side of them would be dark in shadow. But when Jeremy was recounting his conversation with Tony, the lighting on him was all even indicating a sun high up in the sky, which was obviously from the next day. And if you He's still there the next day. He obviously didn't go home the night before. So, I don't know. I'm proud that I Encyclopedia Brown that all together, Brett. Wow. I need to, I think, go back and watch <laughs> that again. I I was looking at the lighting, too, and thinking, well, that looks like it could be sunset. But that scene doesn't look like it is. So, I don't know. But uh, I... 
I, I found this episode, I think, I don't want to say mediocre, but I, it felt like the weakest of the season for me. And oh, I, really? But not because it was bad. It was still entertaining. I think it just maybe, I think it's maybe because it felt like the most sort of regular Survivor episode. I don't know, and I, I'm just going off of a feeling. Maybe it's just because last week's episode was so emotional with the loved ones that going back to just a regular episode of Survivor was, um, I don't know, maybe just felt like sort of run of the mill. Could also be the fact that Sophie was the second person I had in the pool. So both Natalie and Sophie, <laughs> my two contestants, are now out of the game. And it could also be because while uh, Tony is fun, I don't, I don't like Tony per se. Like I'm not cheering for Tony to win. He is a, he is a great character, but he was one of the villains, was he not? Did there or did they do? Was he he wasn't in the Heroes versus Villains season? I don't think that was season. I don't 20. remember. He would have been he would have been in the villain side of it all though, just because he's he's just such a schemer of. of more than anything else, right? So that would qualify him, quote unquote, as a villain. Next week, though, when he's up in the climate up the tree, did you see the preview? Yeah, the he's spy going from shack. the spy shack to the spy nest. Yeah, <laughs> he called it. So I don't know. I think maybe another reason this episode might not have uh, felt as amazing to you is like they didn't really show the Extinction Island people outside of Parvati and Natalie. I don't even think Boston Rob appeared on the screen. So he did. They weren't working with the, the whole. They, they didn't show him. They showed him like he they he was, I think he had sand on his back. He had been just clearly lying on the beach, yeah. and uh, someone was wiping sand off his back. I think. Yeah, but he never said anything, which is weird for Survivor not to have Boston Rob say anything. And I think when they do have everybody in all those, uh, like on all three islands or two islands now, when they have all twenty people in the cast in an episode doing stuff then they tend to fly by a little bit longer and i've seen some calls for the episodes this season should be 90 minutes and especially with the thing like the family visits last week a 90 minute episode would have been good because the family visit took up 30 minutes yeah i i think i could i'd be okay with 90 minutes i know when they do their two-hour episodes and i know when they do a two-hour episode usually there's there are two votes so it's like essentially watching two episodes but whenever i see that survivor is two hours i kind of think oh man i don't really know that i feel like two hours of this but uh i'm okay with a 60-minute format 90 minutes uh, with this particular cast, I think there you could certainly argue that there is merit for that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still loving this show. It's been the best season so far. We say it every week. And I'm yep. uh, looking forward to seeing how it plays out. And you can watch it Wednesdays on Global. And you can get caught up on it on the Global TV app. Or you should be able to get caught up on it on demand through your PVR. Up next on the Couch Potatoes, we got to tell you about something that Jeff got in the mail right before... We crack the mics to record this show. And I see you want to talk about an old Julia Roberts classic. I want to find out why next on the Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And I saw a brand new show on Netflix, a series this week. It's called Middle Ditch and Schwartz. I can't promise you that I can protect you (laughs) from what's behind that door. Terrible things. Things that will scar you forever. I'm sort of turning Werner Herzog now. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is Thomas Middleditch. That's Ben Schwartz. We're Middleditch and Schwartz. Yeah. Everything will be made up on the spot. Every character, every sentence, everything in the universe. We don't know what will happen. 
Bounty hunting is a complicated profession. <laughs> and that's that improv. is improv. <laughs> Middleditch and Schwartz stars Thomas Middleditch and Ben Schwartz. You've probably seen them before, even though you might not know their names. Middleditch, most famous for starring in the HBO sitcom Silicon Valley in recent years, while Schwartz is probably best known for his scene-stealing role as the world's biggest tool, John Ralphio, on Parks and Recreation. They've both been in a lot of comedy things and commercials. And now this, it's a long-form improv comedy show. They talk to a couple of audience members for a few minutes at the beginning and then spend 45 minutes to an hour making up a two-person comedy show on the spot, jumping off from whatever the audience discussion yielded. I sort of suspect a little goes a long way with this, but I laughed a lot uh, when I watching the one episode I did watch. There are three episodes right now. Both guys are funny. Both are obviously quick thinkers. You have to be to pull that sort of thing off. And they weave quite an intricate web in each show. The one I watched featured more than a dozen characters, again, all made up on the spot. And a lot of the fun watching these guys trying to keep it all straight. It can get messy, but that's part of the fun. If you're looking for something to laugh with, uh, I highly recommend just giving it a shot. Middle Ditch and Schwartz on Netflix. Watch 20 minutes if you're still not, if you're not into it after 20 minutes, bail on it because again, long form improv is not going to be for everyone. But it's something different, something kind of unique that's you don't see a lot of. So I thought I would bring that to everyone's attention. Okay, now what's this? Like, what prompted you to go back into the Julia Roberts vault? The Julia Roberts vault, you well. Know, I, had to, I don't know how to explain it. I used to really just not like her for no good reason. I just had an aversion to her. But I'm over that. So for the last year or so, I've been going through her filmography. And I watched another one new to me this week. That's a modern classic. I've been saving it because I thought it would be good. And it sure was. And it, the movie is Aaron Brockovich. You're a lawyer? Hell no. I hate lawyers. I just work for them. She knew how to make a scene. What makes you think you can walk in there and find what we need? They're called boobs, Ed. Make a point. We can get them. They're a huge corporation. Kind of like David and what's his name? And make a difference. They're all signed. How did you do this? Seeing as how I have no brains or legal expertise, I just went up there and performed 634 sexual favors. I'm really quite tired. Julia Roberts is Aaron Brockovich. Rated R. Starts March 17th. March 17th of the year 2000, so it's 20 years and one month old as of this past week. Julia Roberts won an Oscar for this. She plays, of course, the titular Aaron Brockovich, a single mom looking for work who gets a job at a law firm and takes an interest in a case. The case involves a power company letting a harmful chemical leach into the groundwater of a Northern California community and the subsequent health problems that the residents have. Roberts starts a crusade to get justice for these people, dragging her boss, played by the late great Albert Finney, along with her despite his protests. It's based on a true story directed and shot by Steven Soderbergh in the year 2000. I'd never seen it before, again, like I said, because of my weird aversion to Julia Roberts, so I was glad I finally tucked into Aaron Brockovich. It's one of her more serious roles. It's not a rom-com or a thriller, which she did plenty of, just a straight-up drama. As always, she jumps off the screen. She was a pure movie star, and she's believable as a tough-talking, down-but-not-out-gritty mom who doesn't take guff from anyone. Finney finds that out quickly, as does her new love interest played by Aaron Eckhart. He looks like a greasy biker, but he's very kind-hearted. And the story was very interesting, and that's where the combo, I think, of Julia Roberts' talent and Steven Soderbergh's talent really make the movie soar. The movie has a lot of legal and medical stuff in it, and that can spell disaster because most of us are pretty dumb when it comes to that stuff. So, there's a need for a lot of exposition that not only needs to be 
made easy to understand for a general audience, but also needs to be interesting and not feel like we're just being pumped full of information. In that regard, Erin Brockovich is the perfect character because she doesn't understand any of it herself at first, and we learn along with her what the whole deal is. The other smart thing Soderbergh does is he mixes it up. We see flashes of documents. We hear stories from victims. A college professor explains some stuff. Albert Finney, the lawyer, explains some stuff. It bounces around like that in a way that keeps your attention. So full marks for making it entertaining and understandable with that high degree of difficulty. Soderbergh had a great year in 2000. He had Erin Brockovich and the movie Traffic, both not nominated for best pitcher he was nominated for each as best director so he there was five best director nominees and he was two of them and he won for traffic and i think that's the only time that's happened and gladiator ended up winning best pitcher that year but soderbergh and julia roberts both winning uh oscars that year roberts of course as aaron brockovich one of her finest brett okay that's what i will admit that's a film i have not yet seen so perhaps i will have I'll have to follow your lead. Okay, just before we wrap things up here, you, right before we started recording, I could actually hear the doorbell ring. The doorbell rings, and you got yourself a package you've been waiting for for a while, I understand. Yes, for the last couple of weeks, I've been staring out my window, working from home, and staying at home, waiting for the mailman to bring me the DVDs I ordered, the complete set of Cheers, all 275 episodes. 275 episodes of Cheers. <laughs> Seriously? 11 seasons. Yes. And I've not watched any Cheers in several years, so it's not, you know, maybe brand new to me, but it's going to feel pretty fresh, at least for a while. I, I wonder what will happen to my brain after watching 11 straight seasons of something. And, and we got like 10 seconds. What did it cost? 60 bucks. Get it on eBay, not on uh, Amazon, people. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.